Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. If we listen, we can learn from people. We miss lessons that we need to learn. We let them slide right by without even paying attention. But there's plenty that we can learn. Some of the best lessons in life come from our own failures, our own disappointments. The things that we mess up often provide our greatest lessons. For a few minutes this morning, I want you to listen to King Solomon. I want you to hear his heart. I want you to know the kind of man that he is and what he wants us to learn from him. He opens this book by saying that he is the preacher. I want you this morning to hear a message from the heart of the preacher. This word preacher is the Hebrew word koheleth. It might be better translated according to some as debater. He is the debater. The concept is he is also a convener. The word means to call together a group in order that they might hear. And now Solomon has called together a group so that he might pass on some information. When you think of it as a debate, I think we can see it. Because he is carrying on in our presence a debate. A debate between what he's learned and where he's been. A debate between what the world offers and what he has now found. It's the same debate that is raging in your mind and in mine. It's the same problem, maybe on a different scale and in a different way, but it's the same situation. And we are now in a debate over what is the right answer. I want you to listen to the preacher. In 1 Kings 4, verses 31 and 34, the Bible says that God gave him wisdom greater than the wisdom of all the East and all of the wisdom of Egypt. And in chapter 10, people came from every nation under heaven just to hear the wisdom that God had given him. 
but what we're going to find. And if you already know well the story of King Solomon, we're going to find that his greatest wisdom came when he made it through his difficulties and he began to write about them. In our language, listen to King Solomon. He says, first, move on. There's nothing to see here. While we were traveling to western Kentucky and to Alabama this week to see the kids and the grandkids, I don't know what it is, but recently it seems like every time we get on the interstate, the right lane is closed somewhere. And you start getting closer and closer to where it was, and there's nothing to see here. What happened? I thought we were backed up for all this time, and there's nothing here. Solomon says, you need to know there's nothing to see here. Life is vanity. 38 times in this book, that's what Solomon says about this life. He says it's vain, it's vanity. His point is there's nothing to see here. Not in the way that he was trying to see it, and not in the way that we might want to see it, not in the way that the debate caused us to see it. There's nothing to see here. Verse 3, what is the profit? How does anything really change? One generation comes and passes, and then another generation comes on. Things just keep going. The sun comes up, sun goes down. Wind swirls around. Rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. No matter what we might think and no matter how we feel, all that is out there, all that Solomon tried to experience and did, all that he got involved with, he never found that things are any different than what God had said that they are. There's nothing to see here. If this is what we concentrate on, if this is what we're looking for in the traffic jam of life, we're going to get to the point where we realize, no, there really wasn't anything there. But I thought it was. Number two, enough is never enough. Verse eight, 
All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Enough is not enough. No matter where you look, you see the devastating effects of trying to participate in these things that are out there. Everywhere Solomon looked, he still wanted more. But enough is never enough. When our eyes are not seeing what is there, we're still looking. We still want to see. We still want to participate. And if we just keep looking and we keep searching, we're never going to have enough because we're looking in the wrong direction. And until we hear what we want to hear, we don't hear enough. Enough is never enough. When Solomon started down the path, he didn't stop. When Solomon headed down that direction, he went as far as he could go because just a little bit here wasn't enough. And the problem with that approach to life is we never do get enough when we look in the wrong place and listen to the wrong things. Verses 9 through 11. From the heart of the preacher, he said, listen to me. If you'll listen, I can spare you a lot. How many times have you heard that in your life? When I was growing up as a teenager, we would go to youth rallies in all kinds of places. And the theme was always the same, it seemed. I've been there. You have not. Do what I tell you and you won't have to go there. And I'm thinking, how do you know me? How do I know that you've been where I'm going to be? How can I trust it? Maybe I want to find out for myself. And so Solomon says, listen to me. You're not going to be the first one to prove that the truth of the past is wrong. All kinds of people have tried. I tried, he said. But I didn't prove that the truth of the past is wrong. What has been will be. What is done will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Can anybody say, see, this is new. It 
It's already been in ancient times. What Solomon found is that, yeah, when we go this way, this is what happens. When I pursue this, this is what I get. And his whole point was to say, no, I can pursue it. I can go there. I can participate. I can get involved. But it won't hurt me. And the preacher said, listen to me. You are not going to be the first one to prove that it's wrong. What you will be is another one who proves that it's true. Verse 13. You're not as smart as you think you are. This is the point that we get to and we have a problem with King Solomon. I mean, here is a guy that the Bible says was the wisest man who ever lived. And everybody wanted to hear from him. Solomon, if you're so smart, why were you so dumb? And he would say, because I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. Here's his problem, verse 13. I set my heart to seek and search by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. Verse 14, I've seen all these works, and it's all vanity and grasping for the wind. Look at verse 16, I communed with my heart. Look, I've attained greatness. I've gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Here's what I think he did. I think King Solomon said, he looked in the mirror one day. Dude, you are smart. I'm going to prove how smart I am. I'm going to take my wisdom, my intelligence, my gift from God, and I'm just going to go and participate in anything I want, and it won't mess with me at all because you know what? I'm smart. If I get into something, I can get out. When I get over there, I'll be smart enough to know that's not good, and I'll back off. And so he said to himself in the mirror of the weeks and months following, Dude, you're not as smart as you think you are. And now the preacher says, Don't rely on your own wisdom. Don't think you're so smart that you can do what everybody else has done without failing in the same way that they fail. You're not smart enough to keep 
from happening to you what has happened to everybody else because these things can't be beat. Listen. Chapter 2. Money will not buy happiness. Now, I understand that we've said that and people say that all the time. Money never buys happiness. Solomon found it out. If you've not read chapter 2 before, first 11 chapter, verses, take some time and just look at it more in depth than I will. Here's a guy that not only had the greatest wisdom of all time, he access to all the money he wanted. He had more money than anybody could ever spend in a lifetime. And so I set my heart. Let's test your heart. Let's test my heart with mirth, with pleasure. But it was madness. I wanted to gratify my flesh with wine while holding on to my wisdom. Didn't work. I had great works, built houses, planted vineyards. I had gardens, orchards, fruit trees, water pools, groves, male and female servants, possessions of herds and flocks. I had silver and gold, special treasures. I had singers to sing for me, the delights of men, the musical instruments of all kinds. I was great. I excelled more than all before me. And he said, it's all vanity. Here's a guy that went to the extremes with what he had. To buy happiness, to buy joy, to buy pleasure. And when he got to the end, he said, it's all worthless. It's all worthless. Listen to me, he said. Money will never buy the happiness that it's telling you that it can do. Verse 18, then I hated all my labor, which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Not only did money not buy happiness, but he said, whatever your money does buy, you don't get to take it with you anyway. All this greatness that I had, all this stuff that I acquired, all of these things that I had in my life, yeah, I went and got them because I thought it would make me feel good. I experienced good. I had pleasure and joy and happiness, but I don't even get to take it with me. And it's gone. And the preacher said, remember, you're going to leave. What are you going to leave behind? 
When you think of Solomon, what do you think about? What's the first thing that pops into your mind? Probably the wisest man ever. But if you spend much time with Solomon at all, this is what you think about. The lasting message of Solomon was all of this stuff that he had and all the things that he did, even acquiring 300 wives and 700 concubines. And you think about all that stuff, but you don't think about a godly man seeking after God. Finally, he says in chapter 2, verse 24. Nothing is better for a man than he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. You know what? God doesn't expect me to be good for nothing. He gave this world for us to enjoy. And it is the task of men to enjoy the labor that they've been given. Who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Here's the problem. There was nothing wrong with the things that Solomon had. There was nothing wrong with Having a life that included all of these things, nothing wrong at all. Here was what was wrong. That became the focus. That became the goal. That became the point. That's what he was focused on. That's where he was headed. That's what he looked at. Had it been a byproduct, it's okay. Think of all of the people in Scripture, who in byproduct had great wealth, great wisdom, were considered to be great people, had a great life. But it was the byproduct of laboring the way God said to do. And then you get the joy out of your life rather than creating this fake pleasure. And this fake joy pursuing all of these things that do not in themselves provide what it is you're looking for. The preacher said, listen to me. I've been there. I've done it. Don't do it. I remember as a kid thinking in a very immature way, this way. Well now, here I am, 
I haven't gone out into the world at all. You have. And now you're standing up there telling me, don't go out in the world because it messes you up. And I'm saying to myself, but you went out there. You got to enjoy all that. And now you're talking to me about it. Maybe I can go out there and I can enjoy it. And I can go talk to somebody else about it. Here's what every one of us knows. Sure, we've all been there. We've all gone in those directions and done those things. And we've come back. We're trying to do better. We're trying to be what God wants us to be. But here's what will never change. The memory of where you've been never changes. You can be forgiven. You can start over. But you'll never erase the pain, the disappointment, and the guilt of having been there. And Solomon says, listen to me. You don't want to live that way. His life was summarized by his words. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Because he could not rid his mind of where he had been. And the preacher says, I can spare you that. Everybody who's gone before has ended up exactly where I am. And if you go there, you'll end up there too. So the preacher's heart is, I don't want you to hurt. I don't want you to carry around the mental burden. So listen to the preacher. Maybe you come today carrying that mental burden. You may not be able to get rid of all the memories, but you can be forgiven intellectually to know that God doesn't hold it against you anymore. If you've never been washed from your life of sin and the blood of Jesus, being immersed in baptism for the forgiveness of that sin, God is ready and willing to take you. That's why we're here. That's our encouragement as we stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., 
and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.